It's the most wonderful time of the year. We've got movies forgotten and hot takes verboten. You just have to hear. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We've got loads of fantastic films for all. From the ghost and the darkness to the Amish and witness, we'll cover it all. Season 11 will be the best of them all. Happy Holidays from Forgotten Cinema. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent most of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production. Wait a minute. I, I just got a text. From who? Calendar Man. He says he'll make our families watch the 1997 Steel film on repeat unless we cover holiday-themed DC films. Oh, not that movie that proves Shaq can't shoot free throws or act. I, I guess you have no choice but to review holiday films on. Yet another DC animated podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year The Joker, Devil's Advocate, was published by DC Comics. Ooh, that's Appar- a throwback. Yeah, there was some Joker venom on the back of stamps. For you young kids, stamps were used to send letters. That's, that's what they were used for. And Batman has to defend the Joker because he doesn't think the Joker did it. Huh. That's, that's, that's what cool. happens. <laughs> I almost at one point thought you, you were going to say there was a promotional material in which they put Joker venom on the back of stamps. And I was just like, um, <laughs> that's uh, pretty a lot of dangerous stuff to be doing. Yeah, imagine. I don't. I hope they didn't release any stamps with this campaign. Because uh, that that would be not not great, not great for the kids. But there is a reason we're talking about Joker showing up in surprising places. Yes, because today he does pop up in our movie for today. We're talking about Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, the first ever movie created within the DC animated universe, the first movie created by Warner Brothers Animation, and the first movie from DC to be released that was focused on a superhero in this way, an animated superhero story. It got it was the first movie to get a theatrical release in the DCAU. So this movie is iconic. It has such a great following. It is considered one of the best Batman films ever created. And there's just so much about it. Like the fact that it got an award or was about to win an award and it had to face off against The Lion King and The Nightmare Before Christmas. So two movies that are just like iconic for our generation, I feel. Yeah, that's just not fair. That's really just not fair to be against those stacked odds. And yes, you establish before we go any further, you're wondering, is Batman the Mask of Phantasm set during a specific holiday? Well, it was released on Christmas. So there you go. There's your holiday theme, Calendar Man. Yes, we did it once again because this movie was directed by Eric Radomski and also the Batman the Animated Series co-creator Bruce Tim when it was released in 1993, where the work for the animation was done by Don Yang, who we learned from our Sub-Zero episode, did a lot of work on Static as well as another company called Spectrum Animation. So fun fact about Spectrum Animation, they animated several of the Batman the Animated Series episodes, including the ones that really gave 
Mr. Freeze's design, especially in the Heart of Ice episode, in which they gave him that frothed up look in his helmet. However, the technique to airbrush that look was so expensive that it ultimately led to them going bankrupt. Oh, damn it. Yeah. So I guess you can say working with Mr. Freeze froze their asset. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Today's most shocking damage, the animation. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Freeze's helmet. So as we mentioned, this movie was released on Christmas Day and was put together in like eight months, which is the fastest record for a lot of animated movies ever, mainly because it originally was supposed to be a two-part episode in the original series, then got pushed into possibility of a direct-to-video release, and then got a theatrical release with a runtime of 78 minutes. And honestly, this movie has influenced so many more Batman stories later on in the years, as well as pulling from a lot of great iconic stories as well, which we'll talk about when we get into our comic book section, but we're now going to talk about the cast of this film. The cast basically has everybody. All your OG Batman the Animated Series characters. We got Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill as Joker. We have Ephraim Zimblast Jr. returning as Alfred. We also have some really new names and faces with Hart Barkner as Councilman Arthur Reeves. We got Stacey Keese Jr. as the Phantasm and Carl Beaumont. We have Abe Vigoda as Sal Valestra. And finally, Dana Delaney, who is who got her start here in the DCAU in this movie because she will eventually go on to voice Lois Lane. But in this movie first, she is starring as Andrea Beaumont. It's a good start. It's a really good start for her. Right? Uh, Like, I'm thinking about that. It's just like, you just really secured your job with one movie. It's an amazing glow up and definitely deserves it. So, yeah, this this movie gets right to it. So we'll get right to it. Because after the music goes hard, like from the start, this music was going so hard for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) I love the opera singers just like singing in tune with the Batman theme song. It's just, damn, it's like chilling yeah it gives you that epic quality right away and right away we see some money launderers batman he doesn't have time for that crashes through the window where he's ready to break every single clavicle he sees to get these (laughs) money launderers out but one of them gets away and runs to a parking lot and i found this really funny right away because he says he looks in the distance he's like batman is that you how the hell did you get down here so fast and i'm like batman's a ninja of course he could have gotten there <laughs> that fast but turns out he's right it's not batman at all yes we got this masked figure who's just floating around in the crowd in the clouds of that that they're creating saying things like that they are their angel of death here to basically kill them so chucky souls the name of the gang member here he you might remember him from actually the um very very sad disappointing movie that we reviewed with Batman Bad Blood, as his name was dropped in that movie. But now we get a chance to see who Chucky Soul is after all these years. And the two of them clash. Like, Chucky's trying to run away. He gets into his car. At one point, the masked figure gets knocked down. So Chucky decides to try to run him over. But with a well-opportune jump, Chucky Soul's car ends up flying from one building to the other, crashing into the wall and proving that he did not learn from Dominic Toretto how to drive cars between buildings. Well, I mean, to be fair uh vin diesel didn't exist yet so he, he okay could, that's true you know but had vin diesel been around he would have been able to execute the jump perfectly but see this is why fast and furious is needed in pop culture because chucky souls doesn't make it and batman is there at the last minute to witness this which makes people think that batman did it so batman gets the hell out of there because he does not fill out any paperwork in any circumstance and heads back to the Batcave where alfred snarky as ever just saying (laughs) there was an exchange where he goes where batman is like yeah i'm the model of sanity and alfred goes yeah hang every guy hangs around with exploding gas balls around their waist and stuff like that (laughs) just love their relationship here it is really good and i think honestly batman the animated series really kind of crafted what their relationship would be like moving forward in the future i think that for me is just like whenever you think of how snarky alfred is it's you think of this guy telling him he's going to draw bruce a bath and actually getting out pen and paper so they're listening in as well to this press conference being held we get introduced to council Arthur Reeves, who's proclaimed 
claiming that the Batman is a menace. He's nothing but a thug who is out there with his vigilanteism and just causing nothing but chaos and destruction. Very, very J. Jonah Jameson of him. And as he's talking about this, he's saying that he has the full support of the police force. And Bullock, who's also in this movie, he does kind of side with Councilman Reeves. However, Gordon's sticking to his guns. He's saying, no, this is my friend. This is my partner in crime fighting. And, you know, I know for a fact that he will never do anything like this. So, you know, Bruce is feeling pretty good about himself knowing that like, hey, I got somebody I got to hook up with the GCPD as he continues to investigate a piece of glass that he found from Chucky So's windshield that there's some kind of weird substance on it where there's a bunch of scientific terms being thrown out that I have no idea what they mean. Yeah, probably made up. Like, yeah, who? who yeah, like, yeah, Batman science. But, you know, Bruce has take breaks from investigations every once in a while so he's at a party he's got three girls surrounding him one with like eyes that had no irises so it looked like you were sinking to her soul i was a little worried about that <laughs> that particular person but you can see his playboy persona is out here in full because one woman throws wine in his face says you know this guy's not here for anything serious and then arthur you know your shady lawyer character slinks on over and says god bruce your love life sucks and they have a nice little banter back and forth where they're just going they're just taking open jabs at each other and there's a great moment where arthur offers bruce a handkerchief and you can see the anger on his face and he wipes off the handkerchief and he's playboy billionaire bruce wayne again and all of these these emotions about his love life they throw him into a flashback into where else do you expect Batman to hang out? A cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Arthur mentions the name Andrea Beaumont and Bruce in this flashback, he's at his parents' grave and he hears a woman in the distance just talking. So he assumes that maybe the person's talking to him because he, I guess one does not assume that people would be talking to a gravesite. So he walks on over to the woman and the two of them engage in a conversation in which she tells him that no, she's not talking with him. But then as he decides to leave, she starts saying his name, saying that like, did you know that was Bruce Wayne? Like, yeah, he's all, you know, he's a lot cuter in person, just broods a lot though. So he heads on back and that's when she reveals to him that she's actually been talking to her mother, who's clearly dead here because she's talking to um, her mother here at the gravesite. And she just finds it comforting for her to just really speak out loud because she says it's almost as if if she says it out loud then there's a possibility that like maybe her mother will say something to her in the sense of like she'll just get that feeling and you get the sense that this is a therapeutic move for Andrea and it's something that Bruce even says that he does too not in the same capacity but more that he made this vow to his father and his mother that he doesn't share what it is but you know him being Batman we know as the watchers what it is and this leads into them kind of creating a bond now here because they're both these individuals who've lost their parents due to some kind of weird circumstance that we don't know about fully for for really for her side but they decide to you know cash up later at some other point you know Bruce gets the digits he she drives away in her car and Bruce decides to head on back home because it's time for him to continue on his journey and his path of becoming this crime fighter yeah and this is straight year one batman stuff he's got a ski mask some sweats and he's out trying to thwart a robbery and he just jumps into the scene against three extremely strapped dudes like they they were not jacked these are the anti-jacks because they got all they're all about the straps and they're they're ready to blast bruce into oblivion but he manages to hold his own and this is how you can tell it's also year one batman is that in the middle of the the scene bruce is kind of celebrating he's like kind of patting himself on the back and that gives the opportunity for the last thief to get away in a truck so bruce jumps on that truck GCPT tries to follow him, but crashes their car as well, as typical. And then Batman <laughs> pulls out the bat hammer and manages to manages to stop the thief, which led me to the principal question. What the hell were they stealing that was worth Yo, all this I was trouble? I trying to figure that out, too. <laughs> and it's worse because it's just like, I feel like this is a case that, because I believe it was Harvey Bullock was in the cab. Like, this was probably um, in the cop car. And this was probably one of his first nights out on the job. And it's just like... Like, does this not 
keep him awake at night of knowing that like we will never know what they were trying to steal. He had to witness a man in a ski mask and a leather jacket try to take down the whole truck. Yeah, I, I don't. It must have been like DVD players, maybe another Fast and Furious kind of. Oh, thing. I don't know. I think it might be too early for that. It might be in Fast and Furious VHS tapes. Oh, you're right. You're right. Some Betamaxes, maybe some <laughs> Game Boy cartridges. <laughs> Something valuable was in the back. And this whole incident leaves him very bandaged, bandaged up, a little banged up. And he's in his huge ass garden uh, practicing his karate. And Andrea stops by because he's like, you can call me for three days, bro. And this is pre-internet, so I couldn't DM you. And they get a little sparring going on. And Andrea proves she can hold her own in a fight. And again, now she's three for three for Bruce. She's attractive. She talks to her dead parents. And she can fight. (laughs) So they start making out. Alfred leaves him alone. And this is where we end the flashback. So we really get a sense that Andrea was this great love of Bruce's. And obviously she ain't around now. Yeah. uh, Because once that flashback ends, we jump back to another gang boss who's heading over to the gravesite of Chucky Soul. This time, Buzz Bronski. Who's these names? I tell you. Uh, (laughs) He immediately gets chased now by the phantasm who tells, gives the same speech about how what he's done is time for him to pay for what he's done and everything. The angel of death is upon him. And this time around, we hear the phantasm mocking Buzz more than they did with Chucky. So it seems like as if this person is also getting a little bit more confident. And as Buzz is able to escape, or so he thinks, he ends up falling into an open grave and using the clouds smoke thing that emits from the phantasm the phantasm's able to push a what's it called like a headstone uh like one of those like giant yeah it was like monument things i mean if it it was kind of like it looked like just a straight up statue that happened to be there like that that thing was huge yeah the phantasm ends up pushing this huge ass statue on top of buzz immediately killing him so when his enforcers are trying to run after to try to save their boss, unfortunately, they arrive just in time to see Buzz crushed underneath the statue. And as they turn around, they see once again the phantasm in the distance. But because of the night and because of the shrouded cloud that the phantasm emits, they assume that it's Batman furthering on the story that Batman is the perpetrator of killing all these crime bosses. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty gruesome death, I think, for a kid's movie. Like even as adults, <laughs> I was like, damn, that. That definitely yeah. is brutal. And if I remember correctly, this was rated PG. So, um... oh, yeah. Well, PG was a whole different ballgame back then. Now that would just definitely get you a PG 13. But yeah, so now we got two gangsters dead, and Batman is still in the case. He's, but now he's following up on Andrea. He's investigating his old love life, and Arthur's making some moves on her. Batman's out in the rain, like that jealous ex. And, <laughs> but there is a great shot in the rain. A close-up of him, hand-drawn, where you see just the sadness on his face as he, again, thinks back to the past. Him and Andrea go to this theme park of the future. They see a prototype that where Batman, let's be honest, just rips off his design concept for the Batmobile from a random random thing. Uh, We see a woman a robotic woman of the future with a, a knife we see all this kind of a robot wife i guess i guess that's what they were going yeah for. yeah i think it, it reminded me a lot of just kind of like everything you could think of about tomorrowland from disney world or disneyland but yeah there was that robot wife who was just like a robo wife i guess you could kind of call it that was just chopping things and it's just like i feel like that <laughs> why was the knife that big <laughs> That was my first question. Or sharp. Like, right. what was going on? It's just a ride, guys. So, so as they're leaving and having this great time at the World's Fair, Andrea offers an opportunity for Bruce to meet her dad. She feels like the two of them have bonded over these, um, seems like it was in probably a couple of weeks now since they've been dating and he, she really wants him to meet her dad. So once Bruce and Andrea leave the the park, they decide to head onto the car where Alfred is driving. And Andrea decides she know it. She wants to have Bruce meet her dad. She feels like their relationship has fully taken that next step. So as Andrea calls him up. He's immediately okay with it. So they head on over to the Beaumont's offices where Bruce meets Carl for the first time. The two are talking about you know, the importance of family and how he appreciates the fact that Andrea was able to find somebody like Bruce to bring into her life. They also meet a very young looking and very awkward looking Arthur Reeves there. He has on his suspenders, his glasses, and his hair parted completely down the middle. And 
as they're all talking, Carl's assistant knocks on the door, letting letting them know that Beaumont has an appointment with the man named Valestra, who immediately enters. And it's already clearly seen here that this guy is no good. He's completely bad news. He immediately grabs a cigarette and starts smoking into the office. And this prompts Bruce and Andrea to leave. And Bruce comments on the fact that, like, yo, this dude was man-shady and creepy as... Another person is watching them. We see that Valestra's driver happens to be keeping a close eye on them as now Bruce and Andrea are heading to underneath a bridge where they see a robbery going down. Yeah, you can't even hustle in Gotham, yo. You can't even like make your money on the streets because people are going to steal it. And these this biker gang steals this guy, this hustler guy's take, which couldn't have been more than like 200 bucks. What is with these petty crimes in Gotham? <laughs> but Bruce, he just can't stand it. He he jumps into the fight, takes on these motorcycles, guys himself. Guys on motorcycles are coming at him and he's jumping in his loafers and kicking them off the bikes. And it all ends when somebody with a wooden bat comes at his stomach at approximately 50 miles per hour. Understandably, even though Bruce is pretty decent jacked that that hurt that hurt a lot and we understand why he needed to sit down after that one and really he gets really injured <laughs> from this fight and you really see the pain of him being torn between worlds he goes back to the grave after this and in one of the great greatest lines of this movie he's talking to his parents and he says it doesn't hurt so bad anymore i don't need to do this i could hire more cops which he should anyway and <laughs> he says you know i just need things to be different now please i didn't count on being happy yeah and this is such a powerful scene and it's clear why this is one of the best batman films ever created because kevin conroy brought it home with this one and while he's there in the the rain and at the gravesite andrea finds him the two of them embrace and it seems like they are deciding to choose each other now which is really a shocking thing to see bruce do so we also now jump back to the future or yeah yeah back to the future as arthur is walking down the street and he almost gets run over by a car and in the car in the back seat happens to be an old man version of Valestra who is telling Arthur that like yo it is clear that Batman is going after our gang so we you got to do something because he's taking out everybody that was involved and we don't know exactly what he was involved with but it seems as if Arthur is like keeping his dis- distance with some legal jargon while also recognizing that like he could probably push over this man who intimidated him so much when he was younger and he's just like you know what I got the juice now so I'm getting out of this car you need to just leave and we cut back now Batman's in Batcave um, he's doing some detective work and is able to figure out that Valestra is also involved thanks to today's DC Easter egg with finding out that he finds out that Valestra is connected to Chucky Soul and Buzz Bronski thanks to these two building companies. One is called O'Neill Funding Corps and the other one is Adam Tool and Die. And these are direct references to two great writers for Batman comics, Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams, who pretty much wrote the Batman stories that turned them into less of the campy figure and more into the serious somber hero that definitely changed the game of dc comics forever nice we love a we love a good easter egg we love a good easter egg yeah and while he's doing the research he realizes all of these people are connected to andrea beaumont mr beaumont so they this prompts just another great flashback where you know bruce decides to put a ring on it and the the ring is probably like seven thousand carats that he minimum minimum like there's there's no way to any any like less shine and fittingly right as he's doing a proposal some bats interrupt and fly out and andrea wants to rush out tell her father she's also got this european trip so she's gonna have she has to go off and bruce is exploring how huge this cave is under his house that he never recognized before where all the bats came from and when he resurfaces alfred comes up to him with a ring box and a note from Andrea just dumping him via old school email and saying it's over move on without me we're done yeah and this is such a sad moment because not only do we see that Bruce's heart is broken as he's reading through it he's expressing his anger his frustration his heartbreak but this is what drives him to make his final decision because now he knows that even though he was happy he's not going to be happy anymore now that she's gone so he decides to go back down into this cave and we see him completing his vow and donning the cowl that will forever turn him into the Batman. Yeah, and I love how Alfred
Alfred was scared <laughs> the mm-hmm. first time he sees the the full suit. Yeah, which is really a nice callback to because earlier in one of the fights, Bruce mentions how upset he was that the criminals didn't fear him. And, you know, you would think that maybe Alfred just did it for the, you know, like, I'm here for my boy. But it was like, it's clear that, like, Bruce created a persona that really helped to instill fear into the normal man. And thankfully, you know, out, you know, throughout all these years, Alfred has known to the man behind the cow. And that's what helps their dynamic as well in this journey. So now we've seen Batman's beginning. So we might as well see what his latest foe is up to because old man Valestra decides, how do you get rid of a Batman? You get a Joker. So he goes to that theme park of tomorrow, callback I loved, that they that they went with. And as soon as he gets there, he's encountering some big robots surprise him. But Joker shoots those robots just because. I don't know how this park has electricity. Who's paying the bill? Gotham taxpayers <laughs> look into this. But in any case, Lester is there to make a deal with Joker to kill my new favorite nickname for the Dark Knight because Joker calls him Guano Man. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, five mil to kill Guano Man. And also another classic Joker line when Valester tries to, you know, just put a hand around Joker's shoulder. Joker goes, don't touch me, old man. I don't know where you've been. Great line. <laughs> yeah. And one thing, too, is like Valester knows Joker and Joker knows Valester. So there's definitely some past between them. So this is why he decides to, to do it. But something does happen as when we go back now to the home of Sal Valestra, where the phantasm has entered. He's getting ready to kill Sal. However, it seems that somebody has already gotten to that as is revealed that Joker has taken out his former colleague or friend and strapped the camera to the body. And this is where he learns that it is not Batman that's been killing these people, but rather this phantasm. So Joker comments now that since he knows what the phantasm looks like, might as well do some killing, you know, get get the job done quick and quick and fast. And as the phantasm runs out, the whole building explodes as the phantasm watches on batman's arriving in the batwing and this leads into a chase and a clash on the roof as the two of them are hopping from rooftop to rooftop this is the most climactic scene probably in this movie as not only are the two fighting but also the entire dcpd from beat cop to detectives to probably commissioner are all there witnessing this going down as now they're trying to chase after batman because the phantasm was able to escape however batman has been in the line of sight this entire time and this leads into the craziest getaway i think i've seen in this in, in any dcau film yeah dcpd is like y'all could use deadly force and every Every one of them is shooting. They don't care where they're shooting. They're just blasting <laughs> bullets everywhere. Somebody got hit. Some straight innocent person got hit in all of this. They're firing every bullet in Gotham at Batman. And again, a very classic year one scene where Batman is cornered in a building. The GCPD wants his head and he has to pull out every trick in the book to get away. And at one point he tries to grapple to a helicopter and they see his cape. They immediately start shooting. And of course it's revealed. It's just a cape. Batman is still on the ground. He's abandoned his cape. He's abandoned his cowl. He is out there. His face is exposed. He's running away as fast as he can because the GCPD is to kill this man. Oh, yeah. Man, swat, yo. <laughs> Y'all don't even treat the Joker like this. <laughs> and just in the nick of time, as it seems he has nowhere to go, Andrea pulls up in a red sports car, says, basically, I know you're Batman, the fucking, and, <laughs> and gets him out. Yeah, so now the cops look only watches the car speeds away, which honestly to me is just like, it's a pretty recognizable car. How did you not, no one get a license plate, no one even get the make and model of it. Y'all were all watching this, so it's just like, I guess y'all deserve to take this L here. Yeah, if you can see him get in and do nothing, it just it just speaks to how incompetent the GCPD is. And they go back and we finally get some insight as to why Andrea had to go. And we see from her perspective, Valestra, who was still smoking, and that's why he had an oxygen tank in modern times, not a nice touch. He and the two other gangsters we saw, Chucky and BuzzFeed, they both <laughs> were extorting Mr. Beaumont and said, you know, you owe us a lot of money. And if you don't pay up in 24 hours, we're going to kill you, kill your family, going to kill everybody attached 
attached to you. So Andrea and her father had to flee the country without second thought. And that's that's where she was like years ago. And she was hiding in Europe with her dad all this time. And Bruce, as soon as he hears his explanation, he's like, good for me. And immediately starts making out with Andrea because that's all he needed to know, that it wasn't him. It wasn't his mission that sent her away. It was mm-hmm. circumstances beyond his control. And now he has another chance at a normal life. But uh, things ain't ain't that easy for old Batman. Yeah, because one of the things that he also determines from their conversation is that by putting it together, he realizes that the Phantasm might be Carl Beaumont. And Andrea quickly co-signs this. So while Batman is trying to, well, rather Bruce is just enjoying his time with the two of them, you know, having some connection during the, the night before, Andrea decides to pull off and she's ready to go and do her own thing to live her life in Gotham, maybe to even come back. And But something's just itching in the back of Bruce's mind as he looks again at this photo that he grabbed and he sees there's one person in particular, somebody that he knows, but doesn't really, he recognizes from his the olden days being the driver of Velestra. And as he's looking at it he grabs a red pen and marks on this guy's face a smile immediately putting it together that Valestra's old driver and enforcer was Joker yeah and this is a great great way to bring it all together because we all know the story Ace Chemicals blah 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 but yeah Joker was an old gangster he was an OG and he's also a detective because Joker also deduces that the Phantasm also might be Arthur who used to run with this crew and maybe wanted to get them out of the way as he started to rise up status in Gotham. And this is honestly the most unhinged Mark Hamill Joker I've seen in a while because he is just a menace to Arthur. He is striking fear to Arthur's heart. He's just saying every little detail Arthur picks up on. At one point, Andrea calls Arthur and Joker takes advantage of that. He's like, oh, you better answer that phone. Like, I'm going to sit here all night until you do. And as a parting gift to Arthur, he hits him with that Joker venom that makes him laugh uncontrollably and honestly again another disturbing scene as arthur is in the psychiatric hospital laughing uncontrollably can't can't regain himself they have to inject him just to calm him down and batman who does not care about your psychiatric state breaks into the room to get some more information yeah and here we find out after some well-coursed interrogation arthur reveals that he he was the one that sold out beaumont back in the day once the beaumonts had left and they were traveling around in Europe trying to hide, he was sending them and wiring them money so they could continue on living. However, when Arthur decided to make his climb to even get to the point of city councilman, he asked Beaumont for for some money and Carl basically shut him down. So as a way to get back at him, he revealed his latest location to um, Sal and the rest of the gang members that were killed off earlier in the film. So this sends Batman into a whirlwind of trying to deduce things because one of the other things that Arthur tells him is that he hasn't heard from Carl Beaumont since then and that was years ago. So Batman decides to head on over to Andrea's home because he's wondering like if Carl Beaumont hasn't been heard from him all these years and Andrea said that he's doing okay is he truly doing okay? Because it seems like maybe he hasn't popped up but while he's investigating the Joker has seemed to also deduce that there's some connection here with the Beaumonts as he sends a bomb over to the house and this thing causes an explosion that knocks out Batman for a little bit. And, you know, while Batman's recovering from his, like, seventh concussion this week, Andrea shows up at the the theme park of tomorrow, and we get the insight that the Joker went out and killed her father in Europe. Once they had found out his location, they wasted no time. They took him out. And because even though he paid them back, they wanted more money. They were never going to stop. So Andrea reveals she is the Phantasm. And she wants the Joker dead. Last one on her list. And unfortunately for her, Joker's hands are free 99. Because he <laughs> immediately starts giving her that smoke. So she has to throw some smoke his way in this <laughs> epic battle between Joker and Andrea in the theme park of tomorrow. Yeah, and just when it looks like Joker has the upper hand is he turns on this um, giant fan to blow away the smoke or suck in the smoke. And it looks like if Andrea lets go at any point, she's also going to be sucked into this fan. Not OSHA safe at all. That fan <laughs> should be shut down. That There's a reason that theme park is unoperational. Oh yeah, 100%. And Bruce, as Batman, drives in. He's on the Bat bike. He immediately takes a, a wheelie and a ramp 
up there to throw the bike into the fan, causing the fan to break apart. And he's able to save Andrea as now the battle has shifted from Phantasm or Andrea and Joker to now Batman and Joker in this like final blowout battle in a tiny town of future Gotham. It was like watching an episode of Power Rangers, to be honest. Oh, basically. Yeah. And, uh, I also didn't want to mention that before this, right before this battle starts, Andrea and Bruce have this exchange where Bruce goes, what will vengeance solve? Mm -hmm. And Andrea goes, if anyone knows that it's you, Bruce can't argue with that, man. (laughs) (laughs) Like she, Andrea just does not see the line between killing and what Batman does. She, she just sees vengeance. And obviously she spent years getting up to this point. So it's really, it's really striking to see how you can, easily you can fall down that path when you're alone and right before this resolves we get back to the fight the power ranger fight and joker throws out an old frieza line the planet will explode in five minutes because i laced it with with dynamite and unlike frieza joker is not kidding the whole park is gonna go up in five minutes so batman decides he will do whatever it takes to stop the joker and in this moment when he's like joker gets a jetpack batman's jumping on he's so relentless he's willing to die to get the joker and it's this beautiful moment where i realized the joker besides all the horrible things he normally does was directly responsible for taking andrea away from him mm. he's the one who sent andrea down this path of vengeance by killing her father so on top of every other reason Bruce has to be angry with the Joker, the, the loss of his love also hits here especially hard. Yeah. And this turns into the final kind of like there's no way out scenario because Bruce is really willing to give it all as he takes the jetpack that he and Joker are riding on and crashes it into the the globe that happens to be in the middle of the of the park and Andrea pops back up. She's looking on at Joker. Both of him and Batman are just like broken and battered from the crash and some of the explosions as the park starts collapsing around them due to all the explosions that the, that was in the sewer. So Andrea is able to, she grabs onto the Joker to ensure that he doesn't get away. And Bruce is just telling her, pleading with her to get out. But she's just like, no, I need to end this here now because he can't continue on and as the explosions occur bruce ends up getting sent down below into the sewers and he's just like taken away by the current and when he finally gets out he just sees the entire place go up in smoke so it's never truly revealed whether or not if andre and joker survive this thing in fact, it seems as if they made they made their end here. So Bruce heads on back to the cave. He's basically just sad about and heartbroken about once again losing someone that he saw as the love of his life. As Alfred really steps in with some really great sage advice here about commenting on how the journey that he's gone on over all these years, and many times he looked on into the abyss. But unlike him, Andrea jumped. Bruce has been at the corner at the edge every night and he's thankful that he's never made that jump to the point where vengeance consumed him that he felt he had to sacrifice himself in order to get what he truly wanted yeah and uh, another great line in here was you know batman was like i couldn't save her and alfred goes she didn't want to be saved man (laughs) like straight up that's that was the path she chose j cole's exactly J. Cole stole it from Phantasm. Uh, No. (laughs) Petition, J. Cole, tell us the truth. And as Batman is really in his feelings, he sees a glint, a locket in the distance. And the locket has him and Andrea happy and smiling. And that is the indication as we cut to a ship where Andrea is there. She's lonely. She's isolated. A guy tries to talk to her respectfully she he says she says no and he goes away immediately Mm -hmm. respect and you know he's like i I can see you want to be alone do you want to be alone and she goes i already am and that is parallel with the scene of batman he's in gotham depressed but then that signal comes on and he gets back to work and the credits roll here with some sweet sweet saxophone action oh yeah an rb song playing in the background and i looked this up this was this song was sung by tia carrera a voiceover artist who you might know as Nani from Lilo and Stitch. Hey, good, good on you. Good on you. Yeah. Especially at this time, this era where all Batman songs, Batman movies had to have some kind of like R&B song for some yeah. reason. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. 
what was it? Kiss from a Rose? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Batman <laughs> and Robin. Oh, gosh. Yeah, why? <laughs> why did we do this? <laughs> but in any case, that's where, that was Fasca Phantasm. How many, I'm going to say failed Fast and Furious car jump. How many unsafe OSHA fan robot wives out of 10 would you give <laughs> Mask of Phantasm? Oh, man. I'm going to get right to the point like that that robot wife tried to do with Andre in the film. Uh, <laughs> I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. Like, I wanted to go and think, I went and think it was just like, yo, you, you, you need to watch Batman the Animated Series to understand this. But like, you don't. You could legit watch this solo as a standalone film and love this thing. I, I thought that there were so many moments that were just like really well executed. Dialogue was on point. Score music was on point. To be honest, the only issue that I probably did have with this film was that where did the name Fantas- Phantasm come from? Because it is never said at any point. That was definitely from the toy department. Okay. That <laughs> they, needed, they needed to label that something. Yeah. Yeah, man. 10 out of 10 for me. How about you? Yeah, this is unquestionably a 10 out of 10. When by itself, this movie is so great at exploring the dichotomy of Batman, Mm -hmm. why he wants to do it, why he doesn't want to do it. It's balanced in equal measure. A lot of movies do play around with this. But I think this is a movie that fully commits to exploring should he do it, should he not? Because most of the time he chooses to because franchise got a franchise. But this is a time where the choice has been taken away from him. It's like you don't have any other option. You can't choose something different. At the end of Batman Hush, Batman has a choice to be something different with Catwoman, but he chooses not to. Here, he's not given that choice. It's taken away from him. And now... He chooses to respond by fulfilling his promise. And I think another testament to this movie is I think you can see Mask of Phantasm's influence in so many other properties. Oh, yo. Yes. A hundred. Yes. Just just look at The Dark Knight as one example. What does Dark Knight have? It has people, gangsters hiring the Joker to take out Batman. It has a love interest that Batman is willing to give up everything for, but is torn between the worlds. And it has a tragic ending that sticks with us. This like ambiguous, ambivalent ending that we don't know what to really do with. Is it good? Is it bad that he's still doing it? And that's just Dark Knight. I feel like Phantasm's Reach is on nearly every Batman product that comes after this. And I I praise it because I people still haven't seen it. You need to see this movie. It, it, it's so beautifully drawn, wonderfully animated, moves on at a good pace. It's a good mystery. It is, it is a definitive Batman movie with two definitive Batman actors as a bonus. Like, there's no reason not to see this movie. Yeah, agreed. Like, watch it now, y'all. Like, this... Also because of just like, again, the many comic book influences that happens that comes from this thing. Like there's just so many stories that just really help to create future characters. Like one thing I'm thinking about is just like with Batman along Halloween, that same kind of like introductory battle about love and going back and forth in between the two to do to two different scenarios, as well as just the um what was it? Something that I really saw was just kind of like the the story arc of just like with Andrea Beaumont. Now I know that um I believe if I remember correctly, Huntress came out before, but just kind of like the sense of going after gangsters and donning this um this new persona but going to a more extreme sense of it it really helped to solidify that that's something that could possibly be a great way to tell a story of having that deep rooted connection over the years of like your family or someone you love could be connected to this darker past and then it's just like do you take that step to move on to you know do this fight or do you try to move on in a way where it's just like you you just try to live your life for the sake of them but all of these stories help to inf- this in particular really helped to like bring forward a lot of great other story arcs and storytelling i'm like thinking about like long halloween like it was just that dynamic too it's just a lot and it's just so such good good storytelling craftsmanship when you really do it well and mask of the phantasm does that yeah and yeah, there's no there's no alteration to be made. I mean, would I have liked Chucky Souls and Tusk? Yes. But <laughs> Tusk is not necessary 
for me to enjoy this movie as a 10 out of 10. So I'll uh, I'll leave Tusk out of this one. This time. <laughs> this time. All right. So that was the movie. And I was time to talk about a little bit about the comic book influences of the Masculine Phantasm. You know, we talked about a little bit. We saw a lot of year one references in here as Bruce decides to take this journey into becoming the Cape Crusader, the crime fighter that he is, even down to the ski mask and the leather jacket, which is something that like gets used a lot now in a lot of Batman productions thinking about Batman Begins. We saw it in the year one comic as well. But a lot of this story does pull from year two of Batman. This was a story written by Mike W. Barr in the Detective Comics arc in 1987. This arc ran from June to September of those of that year and fell in between Detective Comics number 575 to 578. This one, we saw that Bruce has been Batman for a while now. It is something that, like, he's developed his relationship with GCPD, with um, with the public, of, and really just, like, how he's influenced his crime-finding style onto crime and just, like, really striking fear. One thing that does happen, though, is that uh, there's this new character who comes into play. So his name is called the Reaper. This is actually a pre-Batman. So the Phantasm is an entirely original character for this movie, but it heavily pulls from the story of the Reaper. And the Reaper was a man by the name of Justin Caspian. He gets introduced in these four these four issues as a man who comes to Gotham. Apparently, he's lived there before with his daughter and his wife. He lost his wife some many many years ago, but he's there now to see his daughter because she decides that she wants to become a nun. Is getting close to the big day for her. So he wants to spend his her last couple of days together. And we find out that um, as he returns, so does this character, the Reaper, because he sees how bad Gotham has gotten, even with the Batman operating in Gotham. So the Reaper is more of like this Thomas Wayne Batman that we've seen from the Flashpoint reality. He has much similar to the design of Phantasm, instead of it being kind of like this. I don't know, like the the hockey mask that just reminds me so much of Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's more of a a giant skull that he has on his face and he has a giant cloak as well, as well as being a hood on his head. But he also has these two giant sights on his arms, all of which actually can turn into gun. So he's dispensing this like crazy amount of lethal justice out in Gotham. And people know the story about the Reaper and people are like scared shitless about it. And be honest, they were a little thankful that Batman was a bit more like chill, like let's take him in without causing any bodily harm. But Reaper was nothing like that. He's cutting people in half, cutting people's heads off, impaling them on his sides. It's really such a gory comic, to be honest. I do want that scythe guns. Like I, I don't approve of his actions, <laughs> but uh his weapons, I 100 percent I'm I'm into it. Like I get it. We'll see if they can put that into production for you or something. <laughs> yeah, let's call some people. Let's let's figure this out. So his story really started because, as I mentioned some years ago, he lost his wife. So just kind of like with Bruce Wayne, he is walking with his wife and his daughter, his young daughter, from a fun time at an amusement park or some kind of just like theme show. And as they're heading home, they see a thief exiting their place. So he immediately jumps in to try to stop them. But this leads into him getting shot at but the bullet ends up missing him striking his wife and kills her, kills her right there on the spot and his daughter rachel is also here she witnesses everything and this is kind of like where bruce and rachel really bond it's very similar to the andrea beaumont story because she's talking at a gravesite about with her mother about everything that went down but also talking about how she's planning on taking this next step and bruce basically falls in love with her in some way the two do actually meet in a very similar manner they go on dates they don't go to the world's fair but they do end up getting engaged like bruce proposes so and it's clear that she's been a big love interest of his the only thing that differs really here is bruce isn't as like worried about trying to balance his two lives as much as he is in the movie in fact he's really willing to give it up the biggest issue that he does have though is because the Reaper's antics are just so harmful around Gotham, and he's the Reaper's not only just going over going after criminals, but he's going after corrupt cops and innocent people are being caught in the crossfire. Bruce, as Batman, decides the only way that we could take him down is if I team up with mob bosses and criminals because it's getting to the point where 
if they're being harmed, then the enemy of my enemy is my friend. See, I see. Yeah, this is a good. I like this. I like this. I like this. Uh, this build. And one of the things that does happen too is Bruce does get into a confrontation with the Reaper, and it turns out so bad. Bruce gets shot up. He gets cut. He gets pulled, pushed, and pulled against buildings and everything. That Bruce decides that the only way that he can defend himself and protect Gotham. Again, this is a year two story arc. He decides that he needs to get a gun and not just any gun he gets the gun that he keeps in the back cave the same one that is responsible for the death of his parents damn i mean look first of all that's that's hoarding evidence there bruce uh, that's <laughs> you're tampering with an open investigation secondly yeah that's that's extreme to go to that length that's crazy yeah and it's a battle that he deals with the entire time mainly because he doesn't care about that he's like you know what i need this right now the only person who's acting as the telling him that like no this is too far is his close confidant and um therapist leslie tompkins most people probably know leslie tompkins from really the gotham series where she's played by morena bakarin um, who also voiced our Talia al Ghul in the DC animated verse earlier. So she is telling him that, like, you can't be serious. This is the reason why you're in this position right now. And by you using this gun, you're doing everything that you said that you didn't want to become. You're becoming a killer. You're becoming a criminal. But he doesn't see that. He's, like, reveling in the fact that, like, he could finally dispense out justice. But this path that he ends up going takes him to, again, work with some criminals, one of which happens to be the person responsible for his parents' death as well, Joe Chill. Yo, this is a uh, damn, it's like a greatest hits for him. <laughs> yeah, it's everything. And he's now his main debate here is like, does he continue working alongside Joe Chill at least two or three issues? The two of them are like basically acting as Batman and Robin. Joe Chill is keeping up with Batman, hopping from from skyscraper to skyscraper which i have no idea how but he's like the two of them are like on the hunt looking for reaper and this pushes batman's boundaries a lot of times because he's like you know joe has ideas of like maybe we can intimidate certain people to start dealing drugs so that that means reaper will come after them so by setting up these people we'll be setting a trap for reaper and batman decides to, to go along with it because this really pushes him to see like how does it work to bl- um to blur these lines between black and white and this is where we kind of get a sense of like all right this is why batman really tends to operate in the gray a lot when it comes to his stories so eventually batman does decide he's he's done he confronts joe because he's like he's tired of the fact that he ha- haven't he's have to hide his identity so when bruce reveals to joe that he is bruce wayne the child that he left alive as he left his as he killed his parents in front of him reaper is there in the same moment and this is where we actually see the end of joe chill reaper uses one of his types guns to kill joe chill in front of batman lead into the final confrontation between the two of them. And in this moment, Batman does decide to get rid of the gun because he's finally able to defeat Reaper solo by himself using just like his own capabilities. But when it gets revealed that the Reaper is Judson Caspian, the person who was basically about to be his father-in-law, Bruce doesn't know what to do. So he immediately heads over to Rachel and she reveals that she has to atone for her father's sins in some way because he killed so many people. So she decides there that she's not going to marry Bruce and instead take that vow and become a nun like she originally intended to do. That is the worst way to have a breakup. Yeah, it's like, hey, I can't marry you because I'm already married to the Lord. And that really was the year two story arc they end up breaking up and this kind of just ends the story for the year two story arc and honestly this is such a small story compared to like some of the other stuff that we've heard about batman in the past like again like this really i think mask of the phantasm and that story arc kind of really kind of overshadows this a lot but it's gonna it has influenced a lot of the batman stories in the future and honestly i think it might be even a big focus for the robert pattinson batman that we're going to be getting as well because it does take place in this year two story so we might see a lot of this back and forth of do i become batman do i not become batman i found love do i end it here so i can see that like just that battle that internal conflict 
just playing it out a lot and through a lot of Batman stories. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be great to give people another reason to watch Phantasm <laughs> next yes. year. So this the movie also just really kind of connects more to the Batman the animated series. It takes place after the first two seasons of the show, I think. It was actually supposed to serve as the series finale, but it was just so popular that it um, you know, just like it really just tied in the mythos of Batman and helped to create. It was just like, yo, we need more Batman. We need more animated series, especially the character, the Phantasm, who goes down in history as probably one of the most iconic Batman villains, mainly because of this story. That would have been a depressing ending. I I just got to say, like, if this is how they were going to end it, Jesus. People, calm down. Yeah, that is what leads to the entire like design shifts in a lot of the episodes, I think, because they didn't really know where to go with it next and why the third season was more renamed the 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 adventures of Batman and Robin before they got that full reboot with um the the new adventures of Batman and Robin. So because this one takes place after Robin joins the team, Dick has gone to college. That's one of the reasons why they explained why he isn't in this film. Um, but since it does take place as the first Batman film, it takes place before Sub-Zero and a couple others, like um, The Mystery of the Batwoman. The story that I got told here leads into like a lot of these other movies and television episodes that we have for the series. But more importantly, Phantasm, which is a character that was completely made for this film, you know, wasn't it the Phantasm didn't get included until much later. Uh, originally started as a maybe it's like some side stories in the connected dcau comics that they had there's like some really weird comics from back in the day where it's just like yeah we're going to connect this entirely to the show so those character designs and everything are in there and they recently brought it back but phantasm entered into the comics and they did that by still being able to include andrea beaumont as the phantasm so as we saw at the end of the film it seems like jokers died that clearly wasn't the case because in another story by Paul Denny, who is one of the, the writers for um, Batman, the anime series, the co-creators, he wrote in the comic Shadow of the Phantasm, a clear story detailing that Andrea and J- took Joker down into the sewers to protect him from the blast as well, because she wanted to be the one to kill him. So she ended up beating him to an inch of his life, but she ends up stopping because she realizes that the man that killed her father is so disconnected from the Joker that he's already gone. She will get nothing out of trying to kill the Joker now. But one of the blasts ends up separating the two of them, causing Joker to get carried away to live for another day. Those convenient explosions, damn it. And Andrea, as we did see, does survive. She does come back in the DCAU a couple of times. Like We see her mostly mentioned in some stuff, but she fully comes back in the cameo when... Um, in the Justice League Unlimited episode from the season two finale, in which we see that she was going to be directly responsible for turning Terry McGinnis into Batman in that Neil Gotham timeline because Amanda Waller hires her. So this was like a def- a great callback to anybody that was a big fan of this movie because she's donning the same Phantasm look and style, but she's gotten older. She's aged. And this is why she ended up getting thrown into the comics first in, in like Batman Beyond 2.0. But more recently, she's back in the um, Tom King story arc from 2021, the DC Black label Black um, Batman and Catwoman as she's returned because this time around, she's investigating the fact that Joker is responsible for the death of her son. Ah, yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna sting a little bit. Yeah. And so it's really cool to just see that they were able to create a lot of the cool things about the Batman anime series is that it created a lot of characters that have been very iconic now in the comics. And, you know, it's the reason why this film third, you know, almost 30 years later now is still ranked as like a top tier animated film. Why it was nominated for any award. It only lost to, you know, nightmare before Christmas and the lion King it really just changed the way that you can portray Batman on screen forever. And they did so and they continue to do so in the comics. So, you know, really just great job to this whole entire movie that just changed the way we see superheroes. Yeah. So watch it. 
I don't I don't know what else we have to say to convince you. Just just watch it if you have. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um that's it. It's the comic book section. You know, it's Phantasm again, it's such a new character, but she's entering the comics now. Very thankful for that. And we also got her inspiration from the Reaper, who's made some comic book appearances as well, is with year two and more and a couple more recent ones as well. But you know, I think we've gotten to a point where we've kind of pushed that character aside in favor of Mask of the Phantasm. And it's just so great to kind of see this cool story, especially with it being like, hey, it's a, a woman who's a supervillain at this time, who's gone through the same journey as Batman as well, who can also, as we can see in the film, actually defeat Batman. <laughs> oh, yeah, she could. She definitely had the hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's it. I think Calderman has accepted this level of detail that we've gone into this film here. So until then, take care of yourselves and always remember to, I guess, stay away from any Tomorrowland Future World's Fair kind of things. You never know who might pop up. Yeah. And if you see a giant fan that doesn't look like it was OSHA regulated, don't turn it on. Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. The first comic on our list is Batman Year 2 by Mike Barr. This 1987 story arc taking place in issues 575 through 578 of Detective Comics is the inspiration for the film. Instead of the Phantasm, we meet the Reaper, who is a more gruesome version than the antagonist of the film, and we see the battle that Bruce has with his identity as Batman. This time, he debates how extreme his measures should be as he starts carrying the gun used to kill his parents and teams up with their killer. Next we have Shadow of the Phantasm by Paul Denny. This 1996 annual comic, inspired by the Batman and Robin adventures, tells the aftermath of how Joker and Andrea Beaumont escaped, which is mentioned again in Batman and Catwoman by Tom King. This black label story is a spiritual successor to the film, as we combine the story of Bruce and Selina's marriage with a new case of the Joker and the death of a boy. This reignites the hatred Andrea has, causing her to bring forth the Phantasm persona once again as we learn that the boy was her son. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC Animated Podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue. Got another text. A good one. Really? From who? Batman teamed up with Static and took Calendar Man down. Oh, you mean that families are safe from Shaq's acting career? That's amazing. Oh, and Batman wants to remind everyone not to sell an eighth in Gotham or Jason will break your arm. All right. Fair enough. Well, thanks, Batman. And a special thank you to Static. We'll see more of you in the new year.